We spoke often of Narnia in the days that followed. When my cousins left after the war ended, I missed them with all my heart, as I know all Narnians will miss them till the end of time. This is the Bibliotheques Podcast. All right, Cody, we are going again here doing another Narnia movie recap. And (laughs) I'm not going to lie. This one was um, it was an interesting one. I'm really looking forward to getting your take on this movie because just from I think it was one text I got from you while we were watching this was like, what is this movie? Yeah, I, I from Sunday night when I watched it to now Tuesday afternoon when we're recording, I still don't know. <laughs> I really tried to piece it together. You know, usually my girlfriend watches these with me. She didn't even attempt to on this one. And <laughs> she would have been really lost even if she had been watching it start to finish. Yeah. You know, it's when we've talked about movies before, it's like, this is another great example of like, we're not even going to try to do movie versus book and like talk about differences because this is the definition of taking a very like loose translation of like what you're basing your movie off of when you're looking at the actual story from the book. So uh, let, let's get into some of just some of the kind of stats from this movie. So the voyage of the Don Treader came out December 10th, 2010 directed by Michael Apted. I don't really know this guy from anything. He's directed Stardust, Coal Miner's Daughter, and Gorillas in the Mist, to name a few. But for the most part, I wasn't familiar with him. And it seems like, I mean, this movie was kind of a mess in the production and like everything from the get-go. And so he wasn't even the first director that they that they pulled for this movie. So just kind of a weird thing there. The cast is as we know from reading Prince Caspian and then reading Don Treader, it's a lot of the same cast. Obviously, Lucy, Edmund, and Caspian are all the same people. We recasted the voice of Reepicheep in this one. And so now instead of Eddie Izzard, it is now Simon Pegg. Um, So that's a big change. And then interestingly, Susan and Peter also make cameos in this movie and so same characters there um, or same actors for for Susan and Peter running it back for the most part with just like that weird cheap change and then also just want to throw in here that Ben Barnes as Caspian kind of loses his accent in this movie He's, oh but my guy Ben Barnes is phoning it in on Don Treader, <laughs> my dude. He is not even trying to do his attempt at his attempt at Inigo Montoya. No, like he just completely drops it. And it, I, you know, whatever, who cares? Like doesn't really matter. But yeah, so for the most part, cast is pretty much the same as Prince Caspian. You know, we're just looking at older versions of these actors that are supposed to look younger the one perfect cast in this movie is Will Poulter as Eustace Scrub. And Cody, I know that you love this casting, so I don't know if you have any thoughts on this right off the bat. Yeah, so he will be known as 
uh, objectively the kid who looks like Sid from a Toy Story. He's in <laughs> We Are the Millers and uh, Midsommar. Those are his other two big roles. Easily the most punchable face currently <laughs> working in Hollywood. No and doubt. He is maybe like like legitimately spawned out of the earth to play <laughs> Eustace scrub. And he does a fantastic job. Oh, he's, I have he's, to he's, say he's my favorite part of the movie. I think he's, he's the best part and we can get into, you know, we're not going to like do a um, scene for scene, like what changed from the movie to the book. But one of the things I will say that I like is I think they gave Eustace more to do in this movie in interesting ways which was nice because like you said, Will Poulter as Eustace is great. And he, he really does a good job throughout the whole thing. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. like we always talk about with these book to movie changes, stuff will always end up on the cutting room floor. And one thing that I think they did really well was use his like comedic chops to make him funnier. Mm-hmm. Cause he's not nearly as like annoying as in the book, not even close. And instead, right. he's more of like a bumbling version of all the all he is in the book. In the book, he's bumbling too, but they really just play it up. And that kind of plays itself well to the really... I mean, these are fantasy movies, but this one is extra fantastical from those who've been following along from our reading will know. Right. So right. getting someone more grounded and funny who can kind of take the kind of fantasy edge off things is pretty useful. Yeah, without taking too much of the piss out of it, right? Like he walks that line pretty well, I think. Um, like you know, like the the danger in casting somebody as like comic relief, and I think you'd run into this too with Reepicheep sometimes. Is like this is still supposed to be a serious movie to some extent, and like you don't want to just make an, a total mockery of it with any one character. We'll let other things do that with, with this movie. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> but I think they, they did a good job with this guy. Uh, moving on. I mean, production company, like I said, it was just kind of a mess. So producing this movie is Walden Media. Disney dropped after Prince Caspian didn't perform as well as they wanted it to. And so again, only made like 300 mil in profit. Yeah. So, so Disney, (laughs) Disney dropped out. It's distributed by 20th Century Fox. And interestingly enough, Disney just kind of was like, well, fuck it. We're just going to acquire 20th Century Fox a few years later and like own this movie anyway. (laughs) So Disney dropped and then just came back for the rebound afterwards, which is hilarious on this one get the streaming rights. (laughs) Yeah. So this movie had a $145 million budget. It actually made $415 million box office. 74% of that came internationally. So domestically, not a crazy success, but internationally, I mean, they made their money back. Just it doesn't even sniff Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, which had like a $745 million box office, which is kind of crazy. Um, this one is a lot more like Caspian at uh 419 with just about the you know a bit a bit of a better profit margin there and then cody this is always interests me last time we did just kind of a look back on 2010 movies do you want to hear some of the the movies that this was competing up against because you know prince caspian the movies that we talked about were kind of like heavy hitters this one it's kind of sad that it placed 13th internationally in box office for movies released in 2010 Behind Toy Story 3, Alice in Wonderland, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1, Inception, 
Okay, and then after this, it's like Shrek Forever After, Eclipse from the Twilight Saga, Iron Man 2, Tangled, Despicable Me, How to Train Your Dragon, Clash of the Titans, and King's Speech. There's some really good movies in there that I actually really like, but for this movie to do that poorly, like 13th on that list doesn't quite make sense to me. You can't get washed by Tom Hooper. That's just the way it is. Yeah, like, right. Pe- people apparently paid more money to go see Colin Firth stutter for two hours <laughs> as opposed to watch this movie, which is apparently like the third in the original trilogy of a beloved children's novels. Exactly. But there's, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to fight Toy Story. Like, yeah. you're not going to go against like an Iron Man product. Like, you know, like take your place, but come on, Tom Hooper. I mean, I guess that movie did win like, best actor and that one best picture didn't it yeah i mean it, it got nominated for everything that year yeah. so like just in terms of the academy it was it was great but i'm just talking like this is a franchise and the fact oh, that yeah. you're at 13 on this list is just kind of embarrassing i think yeah and they also well it also doesn't help that you know like disney's previous uh owner of this they like in that listing they had like two or three movies themselves competing with it. So when you're, when you're trying to buy up the Christmas market of children's movies, that's really hard to do. Right. Yeah. And you know, I mean, it makes sense because when you look at, I'm not going to say the rotten tomato scores, you can go look at those yourselves, but it, it makes a little bit more sense just given like the critic score and even the audience score on this one. But I think with that, we can just kind of get into our recap of the movie uh, as a whole. Right. So this opening scene, so you're going to have to forgive me. I'm going to piece together a lot of this movie based on my notes, which are just a lot of questions that never get answered. I'm so glad you said it that way, Cody, because I was looking back at my notes and maybe half of them just have the double question mark following them. Yeah. <laughs> like, like opening, opening notes for this. So the title of the word document, uh, Narnia Dawn Treader movie. Uh, first line, what on earth is this opening scene? <laughs> so we got some whole cloth action going on. Uh, it looks like World War II is still going on. Hmm? So, the, so the British war effort still needs bodies. And it looks like Edmund is dressed up in adult's clothes and has his aunt's passport and is trying to enlist in the British army. And he's obviously a child. So they turn him away after Lucy also gives him up. And they go back to their cousin's house that's where they it kind of gets back on the rails with it but we learn then from eustace's notes that the boy's father is in america with their mom and susan's also there peter's like studying they kind of glance over that one but like if he's still in the war like how's he in america yeah it nothing about this makes sense just in terms of like the whereabouts of the rest of the family like C.S. Lewis, despite being really brief in the beginning of Don Treader, does a far better job of just like laying out the scene for you about where everybody is. And like it makes more sense than this does. Yeah, but we're introduced to the uses character who's, you know, room is full of like bugs mm-hmm. and like really boring books. And he just looks so punchable. Just just this child is hilarious. It's it's so good. It's perfect. This actor, you know, I'm so sorry. You literally have the face of the villain from Toy Story one, but it's it's right there, dude. <laughs> I know. You know what I liked about this intro, though, also is they're like continuing on this theme from Prince Caspian of Edmund and Peter, Edmund in this case, being alone, 
being like really bummed about not being king anymore and just wanting to scrap. And in this movie, he's like, I need to go fight in a war. <laughs> like, I, I need to scratch that itch that I can only get in Narnia, apparently. Yeah, he's got some bloodlust he needs to work through. And, you know, we've talked about this. You know, I get it. You know, like we were kings. I was an adult man. Mm-hmm. And now I'm a boy. And I don't know how to deal with it. That's super fair. And for some reason, Lucy, the one most connected to it, doesn't really feel that way. You know, she misses Narnia. But when they're just kind of reminiscing in front of the painting, she's more or less really cool than just like, I don't know why you guys are so mad. Yeah, we're going back. Remember, like he said. Yeah, yeah. And, And this scene too. the so the picture, I think they do it a little bit differently than in the books, but in a really cool way where like they use this effect of basically the entire room that they're in filling up with water rather than them like jumping into the picture frame, Mm -hmm. which was awesome to watch. Just visually is really, really cool. Um, Yeah. Like they dunk under and then you can't see the top. And when they pop their heads up, they're just in the ocean. Yeah. Very cool. And our first glance at Don Treader, they did a perfect job with this ship, in my opinion. It's scaled the way that I picture it, being kind of smaller than you would think of a like a larger kind of clipper ship, like a pirate ship. Like it's smaller than that. It's kind of stocky looking, but totally like ornate and really just I mean, they did a great job with the ship. And we get reintroduced to Caspian right away as Ben Barnes just like dives in the water to save Lucy. It's great. Yeah. um, Another thing we should mention before going on is that so Lucy, we also get more of the context of where the other children are from a letter from Susan in America. And they're really playing up that Lucy wants to be pretty. Yeah. That's like really obvious right away. And we'll get to that more, but just so that we can hit that note because it is important. Like I took a note on it where it's like, like they are amping it up. It's a great, it's a great thing to point out early and yeah, it'll come up definitely um, more later. And not only that Lucy wants to be pretty, but that she wants to be pretty like Susan. Yes. Like Susan. Yeah. And so, and that'll come up later. So, but but for now we're back you know we're back on the Don Treader. There's this really awkward scene where, for whatever reason, whoever wrote this script refused to let the awkward Caspian Susan love thing die. And Lucy is talking to Caspian like, "Hey man, since we've seen you, have you found a queen to marry yet?" And he's like, "No one that compares to your sister." It's like, bro. Gross. I think they need to do that though to also play up the Lucy wanting to be Susan thing. They're they're just trying to show everyone, hey man, people want Susan. That's just the way it goes. Yeah, I think I think you're right. So that that makes that makes sense. It just kind of because it's a because yeah that that line came out. And I was like, oh, what? <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah. No, it's definitely uh, cringy. But again, it makes sense if if what we're doing here is trying to cement the idea that Susan is the most desirable bachelorette in uh, the universe. (laughs) So there you go. Yeah. So then um, we're just right into the action at this point. You know, the book starts with just like basically an explainer, where are the kids now? And then bang, we're on the boat. So now it's the same thing. Quick explainer where we are. Bang, we're on the Dawn Treader. So we get to the Lone Islands. This is where the first time where they're like, okay, we know you guys. We have a book with a lot of plot. It's mm-hmm. like there's not only is there a lot of story because the story is obviously like 
we're going to the islands to look for these guys. But the book has so much plot. This happens on this island. This happens on this island that the producers of the movie are probably like, we can't fit all that into an already two and a half hour long movie. Yeah, that's ex- like, yeah, that's exactly what that what it is. There's a lot so we of gotta kind do, of yes, yeah, so we got to do some stuff quick. Basically, they go in to this like abandoned hall where there's like a book open and they read it and they're like, there's people's names with numbers. I think we're dealing with slave travers. They get ambushed. They get imprisoned. That's where they meet the first good Telmarine prince that he's actually like in the in the cage with them. Say, I got to bust out. And then they look outside where some slaves have been pushed out onto a dinghy and a mysterious green mist overtakes them they vanish and the mist vanishes and Mm -hmm. i was just like what (laughs) yeah so so this is a great example of cody like you said of the producers being like all right let's take some liberties here with the story and basically what we learn here at this point is that there's this green mist that's running rampant across the Narnian Caribbean, basically, and collecting, harvesting souls and is the kind of hub for all evil in this area of the world. And we're going to make this green mist kind of our driving end goal in the story rather than in the book. We don't really have that ultimate evil that we're fighting against. So it was like whoever was producing and writing this movie was like, we need kind of a more concrete bad guy than individual stops where we talk about like introspective human conflict. Yeah, that's where this movie really loses me, where what I really liked about the Dawn Treader book, and this is the last time I'll be like changed from the movie because you guys will be able to pick it up if you've been listening to our podcast. You'll pick up where it's super different. But this is a big tone shift where in the book, they're not they're not trying to like find something to squash it and then maybe meet, do some Narnia stuff along the way. They're like, we want to go to the edge of the earth to f- and find these guys. Like it's, it's find the knights. And if we have time and provisions, make it to the end of the world. There's no like inherent bad guy in that. No. Yeah. It's just, you know, whatever you run into along the way. Yes. But that doesn't make for a, as good of a movie, especially, like a movie with a new production company trying to put their stamp on something, I would assume too. So they're like, all right, what are we going to come up with? What's the most like bad guy thing we're coming up with? We'll find out later as we talk about it, but it's like this miss is going to be a part of it. So that's that. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, part of the great things about these movies too, is that they just insert more action than the book chooses to do. So like, Whereas in the book, you know, it's it's kind of a nonviolent coup of the Lone Island led by Caspian and this Lord. Now yeah, it's like, that, yeah, what's that guy's name? He gets deposed. His name's something hilarious, like Bumble Bump or something. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I honestly don't remember. But the movie chooses to be like, all right, we're going to make this a violent escape from captivity where like the crew of the Don Treader comes on and they just take over the Lone Island, which is kind of cool, honestly. Yeah, this is where we also find that a woman who is sent to the mist has a husband and daughter and they just he just gets like team up with them. It's like, all right. Yeah, I love this part where the the dad is like, hey, uh, your mom got taken as sacrifice by this green mist. I'm going to go find her. And the girl's like, what about me, dad? It's a 
go live with your aunt. <laughs> Dad, daddy's got business to take care of. Go away. Uh, yeah, Gumpus the governor is not a character. <laughs> Gumpus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our guy Gumpus, he's not there. Um, but we do pick up a random dad <laughs> to go on the trip. So that's pretty cool. So uh, next next island we go to. Cody, real so, quick, real quick. The other thing, and uh, sorry if I missed this, if you mentioned it, but the other thing on top of this mist is we also know at this point the means of destroying said green mist, which is getting each of these ancient Narnian swords from these seven knights and laying them down on Aslan's table. So we not only have a bad guy, but we immediately have like, we understand the means of defeating it right away. So both totally, totally constructed for the movie. Right. Totally constructed. That's why there's another question I have there. Uh, What the fuck is this sword shit? (laughs) Yeah. Mostly unexplained. Edmund gets like the world's crustiest barnacled sword that he's got to like shave off and make it look pretty because he refuses to use uh, Peter's sword because he wants to be his own man, I guess. That's fine. So we get there. I guess the daughter snuck on board the ship. So now we have more people to feed. That's great. Yeah. So um, let let's let's stop for a second because I think this is a you brought up you brought up Peter's sword. There's like three different kind of weird relationships going down on this ship throughout the movie. The first is Edmund and Caspian, and we have like a little bit of kind of sibling rivalry, like tiny bits going out going through the whole movie, kind of like in Caspian between Peter and Caspian. Then we have. Reepicheep and Eustace. And at this point in the movie, it's really cool too because Reepicheep almost immediately takes Eustace under his wing in the movie adaptation where he isn't just seeing Eustace as a nuisance, but also as kind of like a pet project for himself. Because in the scene where Eustace is like stealing from the ship stores, Reepicheep finds him doing that and turns it into a way to like start training him how to use swords, which is kind of fun. The third weird relationship on this ship is the stowaway girl and Lucy, because apparently we just need to give Lucy something to do on board the Don Treader. Yeah, Lucy covets her sister's looks and like pals around with this random girl. Yeah. So the next island we go to... so. This is where you're like, okay, so the island hopping order is completely thrown into whack because we're already at the magician's house with the duffel puds Mm -hmm. just right away. Now, the confusion ends there because everything else about like the duffel puds is perfect. They look exactly like they're supposed to be in the book. Uh, There's no gambling on them swimming around the ship, which was disappointing (laughs) to me. Um but Lucy gets into the house and the house is actually really cool. We're like, not only is, are they all invisible, but the house is invisible. So this door just like appears out of nowhere. I thought that was a really cool shot. Very cool fact. Yeah. But she gets into this room and, you know, she's fucking around with the magic and, you know, she sees the spell to like tur- say the words and you'll be like the most beautiful girl in the world. And it just like in the reflection of the page, the page kind of turns into a mirror. It just turns her into Susan. Right, right. So, and this is a departure as well, because if you remember what this is, 
again, this is cementing the idea that Lucy wants to be Susan. Not that this spell is making you the most beautiful version of yourself. In this case, it's like, oh, I'm Lucy and this is going to make me be Susan. And I just, this whole part is so agonizing to me because of all the things that movies change about books that I find totally fine when you start fucking around with who somebody's character is, that's where I start having issues. Yes. And Lucy looking at the face of Susan and being like, oh, this is interesting. Um, I'm not going to fuck around with this right now. I'm just going to rip this page out of this magic book and save for later. Not the Lucy Pevensey I know. No. And, you know, she's definitely tempted by the book. She brings up how she would want to be beautiful like Susan, but not literally look like her. I don't know. It was very weird. But she says the words to make things visible. And I did love like when the magician comes up, you know, magicians like, hey, I'm the magician. Like, yeah, they said I'm an oppressor. But like, you know, come on. And then they start immediately, once he kind of like explains that the, what the duffel puds are and hey, why don't you all come into my house? It'll be good. He immediately starts telling them that they need to look for the island of Romandu. And we don't get any of the really cool Aslan stewardship stuff that we talked about in the books, which was an, another disappointment where it's like, you know, they didn't like take anything away from this guy's character, but that was a really fun add on where they kind of explain who he is, what his job is there. The table that he's standing on that kind of shows them all the islands looks really cool. I thought that was I yeah, that was a really well done scene. But yeah, as soon as they like, you know, we show up at this magician's house out of order. Now he already like, no, we know who this Romandu guy is. We're trying to look for his island. I think that the producers of this saw all the kind of mystery that came from island hopping. And we're like, we can't do that. We got to give people a heads up of what we're doing. Even if we don't do everything right now, we got to go. Yeah, um, because in the book, in the book, it's like we don't know where we're going ever. And now we know exactly where we're supposed to be going for the most part and how we're supposed to be felling this evil thing. So in terms of giving like the audience a little bit more structure, this movie definitely provides some of that. It's just like, I don't know, it's just out of order and kind of feels a little shoehorned in there. Yeah. And this is where the idea of combining islands slash events happens. So Next island we get to is this kind of desolate looking island. It's a combination of Dragon Island and Deathwater. So they set up camp. The team goes exploring. Eustace goes and bails and goes on his own. Eustace does, then becomes a dragon. And Edmund and Caspian have their Goldwater, Deathwater little beef once they, re- once they find that little lake. I thought they did the, the lake portion perfectly. Yeah, I, I did too. And actually, the, so this is one part where like them combining these two islands actually makes a lot of sense because the themes from both of those islands are both like really centered around greed. And the fact that they decided to combine the two, it it's it totally works. Yeah. And not only that, but we always I, I like you said, there are plenty of times where movies make changes that are just like to be honest super necessary and as long as they're not effing wrong with people's character i'm pretty okay with it combining a two 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 islands that are pretty bad and pretty not uh really fun to be on are are pretty okay with me then we kind of get into the plot line of uh eustace being the dragon eustace is a dragon for a long time in this movie yeah real real quick 
I just want to rewind just a second because there's a couple things that happen right before um, this like Eustace dragon stuff. So one is Lucy actually doing this spell from the book in her cabin. Right. Is, that, is that right now? Yeah. yeah okay. And we get this weird like Susan party montage where like Susan is at this party with Edmund and Peter. Lucy is not present and they're all like posing for a picture. And it's like Lucy doesn't exist in this fantasy and Lucy being Susan like freaks out about that. So just kind of a weird another weird thing here. The other thing that's introduced in this part right before Eustace becomes a dragon is we start getting like hints that Caspian has unresolved kind of ambitions of one making his dad proud and two potentially finding his dad like that was said at one point in this movie. Where it was like, hey, maybe if we get to the end of the world, I could potentially find my dad. Okay, so we've got that going on too. I just wanted to mention those because it's also just an interesting kind of motivation for these characters. Yeah, up until now, um, there's only been a little bit of the end of the world stuff. You know, they get the Reap a Cheap song somewhere in there. But this is the first time that Caspian's actually given like a I want to reach the the far far east right motivation and it's like i actually don't i don't hate it necessarily and to be honest you know i'll just spoil this now there's no uh caspian freak out at the end of this movie yeah but if in the caspian freak out in the book he would have brought up like i wish i could see my dad and like know him that would have honestly given that freak out more motivation or more like motivational like wait it just would have made way more sense yeah. Yeah. So this was a weird one. Like I def- like like Paul said, it just kind of comes out of nowhere and the audience is just kind of supposed to be left with it. But I actually like didn't hate it, but at the same time, you know, we didn't get the payout in any way. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. Thanks for my regression. Now we can go back to uh all of the crazy Eustace being a dragon stuff. Yeah. So so Eustace is a dragon. It, it's more or less like Eustace is gonna be a helpful dragon for us now. Well, can I can I say what I think it is? Yeah. I think it's the movie studio being like, um, we have a dragon we can fuck around with in this story. Why would we make somebody a dragon just to turn him back into Sid from Toy Story in like five minutes? So in this version of the story, Eustace remains a dragon for the majority of the rest of this movie. Right. So... So the movie continues, you know, we get to Romandu super fast mm-hmm. from there. Like we get there and we do the whole, there's old guys with weeds growing through them, but they're alive. Don't eat the food. No, the food's okay. Hey, I see the stone dagger. This is Aslan's table. Look at this pile of swords. So the sword search was never really a search. It's just find the pile. Yeah, because they had three at this point already having found the swords on one on the lone island and then two on dragon island one pulled from the golden lake and then the second being like in the dragon horde so they've got three they find the three lords at romandu at aslan's table and they're like fuck yeah (laughs) one to go let's let's do this right so they get there and then they're like i wonder if all this food is good to eat and then, you know, we get Ramandu's daughter, who has a name in this movie. 
Yeah, it's Liliandil, which crazy. It, it just sounds so Tolkien-esque. And I'm just happy that whoever wrote this movie saw the injustice that I saw <laughs> and was like, you know what? Fuck it. One, we don't really even need this Romandu guy. Let's just use his daughter and let's give her a fucking name. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, there's a lot of uh, like weird female stuff going on in this movie. It's like, I want to be my sister and I can't cut the cut, come up with anything like constructive for Lucy to do. So I'm just going to give her like a pet. And just like <laughs> stowaway daughter. Yeah. So at least, yeah, they're like, yeah, this girl gets a name and uh, Edmund and Caspian are both like, sup, what's going on? <laughs> sup, uh, Liliandil, was it? I'm uh, That's really pretty. We're, we're both kings, actually. Sup, what's going on? He's he's current king. I was high king. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, no, his brother was. He won't even handle his sword. It's no big deal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So Romandu's daughter, like really nothing comes with the scene because they're like, all right, time to go east. And they're like, you're right. Mm -hmm. um, is this at the point where uh, we get um, the recovery of Eustace or is that during yeah. this next part, the sea serpent cave? Yeah. So basically fall, like right after uh, right after Aslan's table, and Liliandil gave giving us a little bit more instruction. It's like, hey, you need to go into the dark island and combat this mist. And you might find the last sword there, by the way. So we all go off to this island. And with Eustace still being a dragon now, it's kind of cool because Eustace and Reepicheep having kind of broed down for like the past 15 minutes of this movie, they're like working together now as we sail into this dark green island. And this is another combo platter for us because the dark island in the book, we don't really get a ton of like description of like the terrors that happen there. But the movie uses this as a way to say one of those terrors could be a sea serpent. And we get this really badass sea serpent in this movie, which I thought they did really well. And mm -hmm fuck it, why not put the sea serpent in this part of the book or movie or story, whatever? It makes sense. Yep, and then, you know, someone lands a really good blow on the sea serpent and the piece, like, falls on the Dawn Treader and it, like, turns into the green mist and that's when Caspian's like, this is it. We kill this thing. We're good to go. Yeah, yeah, and and while sailing into the, into the Dark Island, we also recover the last Lord, Lord Roop, just like in the book. So we get this guy, this insane person on board and looks exactly like in the books, just an absolute like scraggly chipmunk of a man on board. Yeah. He's been living in a nightmare for seven years. <laughs> My guy is not in good shape, but luckily for us, he's hung on to his sword, which also makes it on board. And in a odd yet convenient turn of events, <laughs> Lord Roop freaks the fuck out when he sees Eustace the dragon flying around and just throws his sword into him, which I say is convenient because Eustace then has the sword in his body and can fly out of this terrible place and potentially like 
re you know connect this sword with the other six still on Aslan's table. Yeah, that was. I think that was definitely the writers being like, "Wait, how are we getting this last sword back to the table?" Mm-hmm. Like, well, what if someone like stabs Eustace? Yeah, he's <laughs> like, "Okay, cool." So yeah, that happens, and that's when we get the you know Aslan comes to our boy Eustace on the beach, and like Eustace kind of looks at him and just kind of you know like pause at his chest, like, "Oh, I don't like being a dragon." Mm-hmm. And then Aslan like starts like scratching the sand and like claw marks appear on his chest and there's a transformation. And I thought it was pretty cool. I did too. And, you know, I actually, I, uh, for all of the changes in this movie, I really think that they did Eustace really well in they not did. only just the casting, but like his whole character arc. It makes sense that he stays a dragon longer and that his redemptive arc is more fulfilling in the movie than I thought it was in the book. Yeah, because then once he's a boy again, he slaps the um, the final sword on the table. Mm-hmm. And at this point, um, you know, they're fighting the sea serpent. It's all hands on deck and the Dawn Treader in the scary cave. And Edmund at this point is like, fine, I'll hang on to Peter's sword. And so he's hanging on to Peter's sword. The fear cave kind of gets to him and he has a vision of the witch. Yeah. The white witch. Like, hey, remember when you betrayed your family for candy? You'll never be a man. Yeah, so Tilda Swinton just, again, grabbing her bag with a cameo throughout this movie. No idea how much they she made for this, but it was probably just like eight hours of putting on makeup and then just like 10 minutes of like, you know, we're going to do three takes of this. Yeah. And then she can go home. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and she's all like CGI'd pretty much too. So she probably wasn't even like on the set ever. Oh no! Yeah, she did that like wherever. Yeah, like, she's like, hey, just like throw some green paint on, and we'll we we can do that. We can touch that up in both. That's no big deal. But so Eustace slaps that final sword on Aslan's table. Big blue beam of light shoots into the air, connects with Peter's sword. Yeah, yeah. And then the serpent lunges at Edmund. He stabs it roof of the mouth. Uh, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets style. That kills the serpent. Um, with the sword of Gryffindor and then, you know, green mist gone, scary cave gone, normal light. We forgot to mention that there's definitely like the light condor that shows up. Yeah. Just, but for like no reason. Yeah. It's, it's very, you know, of all the things that they decided, like, let's, you know, let's stay close to the book. That could have been something to just abandon especially if you're going with this version of the story. (laughs) Look, they already abandoned the birds on the island of Ramandu. Why not just nix all the light birds? Yes. Why keep this one? Especially when it's like Lucy like prays for it. Mm -hmm. It shows up, does nothing except like make it a little (laughs) bit brighter in there. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very odd. Very odd choice. But after the green mist is defeated, you think like, oh, great movie kind of over because this is the the kind of the arc that the story writers have set up for us. Like this is the evil that we have to destroy. Nope. We have more story here, which works better in the original telling because there isn't this green mist thing that we have to defeat in this. It's like almost a weird, like epilogue where, okay, now we realize that the water's sweet. We get the Don Treader going through this sea of lilies, which is really cool by the way. Oh, it looks exactly like in your head. This, yeah. At least like 
what what Paul is all saying about this is 100% true and what he will say is probably also very accurate. Visually, basically just taking whatever image was in your head and putting it on screen. It was perfect. Yes. And and now that we're at the far east of, you know, the sea, we get pretty much what happens in the book with a few changes where we get into a long boat, we kind of row out through these lilies except now Caspian's with the crew. So Caspian goes and we all meet up with Aslan at this big wave wall at the end of the sea. And the closure we get is just, it's a little strange because Caspian, and this is why I brought up the thing about Caspian's dad and why Cody said earlier, like, oh, Caspian doesn't throw a fit at the end of this. Caspian's like, yeah, actually, I don't want to keep going forward and potentially meet my dad in Aslan's country. I've got my own country to run, and my dad would be more proud of me now if I went back and did a good job of that. So, okay. like, <laughs> doesn't feel important, but apparently it was important enough to make the cut. Yeah, you know what else doesn't feel important? Reaper Cheap's like, I've always wanted to go to Aslan's country, as I've said, never in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that kind of thing that's just emphasized throughout the, the book that just doesn't really make it into the script. Cause it doesn't feel as important. Um, turns out being kind of a head scratcher at the end of this movie, but Reaper cheap does indeed going to go into Aslan's country, uh, and then leaves the three earth kids, Edmund, Lucy, and Eustace just kind of bummed about not seeing Reepicheep again and then getting the knowledge that Lucy and Edmund won't ever be back in Narnia, but Eustace could be, they all go back to Earth and the movie just kind of ends there. Yeah, it ends with the quote you said at the beginning. The kind of, I, That was an added Eustace quote, I feel, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, I like that. That was good, though. I I liked it too. So, you know, overall, this movie, the things that I will say about this, okay, I, I watched this movie with two people who had not read the book, okay? And so the two people who hadn't read the book were confused the entire time <laughs> about why any of this was happening. For one, why are Edmund and Lucy even in Narnia? Like, why was it important that they get get brought back? Those questions are better addressed in the book where it's like this story is about the like formation of these kids. Like you are going to Narnia if you're Edmund and Lucy because you have lessons that you need to learn there. Not necessarily, although it's a big part of it. Not, but not only because you need to help out with some quest, you know, like Lucy and Edmund learn things in Narnia each time they're there that hopefully make them better people having left, right? That is kind of missed in this movie, I think. And I can see why the two people that hadn't read the book were just like, so what the, like, why? What the fuck's going on here? Now, for me, having read the book, I was confused for many different reasons <laughs> as far as like, um, so like 
why the swords? Why the mist? Why fuck around with all of this other shit? Aslan seems even more sidelined in this movie than he was in Prince Caspian in like ways that it's frustrating because he has such a central role in the kind of learnings of these kids. And you don't really feel like that happens much in this movie. Yeah. Like they, I think like you said too, one of the other reasons that those kids are back in Narnia is because like, like Aslan's like last little like stanza where he's like, you have to know me well here to know me by my other name on earth. Right. Yeah. And you'll actually know me more over there now that you've done this. And they just don't play that up. It's like in passing and part of the dialogue of like, Oh, don't cry kids. It's all good. Yeah. So, you know, last time Cody, when we did, uh, when we did the Prince Caspian movie, I think I gave Prince Caspian a B plus just as a movie itself. This one, I would feel strange giving it more than a C minus. This movie wasn't good. <laughs> just gonna, just gonna say, it, just gonna put it out there. And and I only say that because, like, in Prince Caspian, as a movie, independent from a book, the story works. Oh yeah, this one, totally. this one, it doesn't accomplish that. And that's that's what I always go back to when we do these is. Is the movie adaptation, albeit different, a equally good way of telling a story? I think good is is a weird is like you know that's how bad this movie is. Right, where I'm about to say is like good is not the metric in which we need to measure these movies. Mm. I think that like worthy of the story and kind of like gets the kind of spirit we're going for. Yes. Where like, like with Caspian, it's like, so like Land of the Witch in the Wardrobe is like, like we said, as close to a movie recreation of a book as you can get. Like that was no question about it. Caspian was more like when these kids come back, do they learn lessons about growing up, especially Peter and Susan? Yes, they do. And in the movie, they do it different than the book, but they really, really learn it no matter what. And this one, it's like, this one was about all of like Edmund and Lucy's complete understanding of the importance of Narnia and especially Aslan. Like Eustace is the one who has the lowdown with Edmund, like the big fuck up from the first book about Aslan and Eustace like learns a lot from that conversation with him. Right. Mm -hmm. That conversation does not exist in the movie in any meaningful capacity. Right. Yeah. No, that's it. I think that's a really good way of, of measuring these is, is defining like if there's a possible way of defining these stories from the book in like a single sentence, you know, like in Don Treader, the point is X. And I think we'll get into that a little bit more next time with my mom when she comes on and we can talk about like, okay, what is the story actually supposed to be telling us? I can say for a fact though, that the movie version of this does not meet that whatever that X is. Right. Yeah. And the, and also like, like the book is weird. Yeah. They didn't want to lean into that. They wanted to be more conventional action movie fantasy stuff. They right. wanted it to be something that the story just objectively was not like Don Treader's all allegory, like some sword fights, not a lot. No, no. Yeah. Like the two biggest action scenes is like, 
deposing Gumpus in the Lone Islands and then the Sea Serpent battle. The rest is more or less like in their heads. Yeah, and and like I was saying before too, it's so much about single character development, especially when it comes to Eustace. And that is, in my opinion, like the one redeeming quality of this movie, or if they're like the top redeeming quality of this movie is just the fact that they did lean in on the fact that Eustace is going to be our guy that we're focusing on here. He's really shitty to start off with, and he does learn a lesson by the end of it. Mm-hmm. You don't exactly. even, you don't even really get that entirely in the book um, throughout the whole thing. It's more like kind of sequestered into that one chapter or two chapters of him being a dragon. Yeah. And then he's basically sidelined for the rest of the book. Yeah. And yep. he's got his like one off comments here or there, but he's really a non-factor once he be, once he turns good. Right. Right. Okay. Cody, um, any other final thoughts um, on the movie before we do a little Aslan Eustace? You know, I think we, I think we really hit it on the head. Like, you know, it's, it's weird. This for a two and a half hour movie. I don't have too much to say from it other than, you know, wasn't really what the what the what the book needed in terms of a movie retelling, and I'm not even sure it would have been anything. I think this, I think Don Treader would suit itself way better to a miniseries than like a one two and a half hour little little quest. Oh, totally agree. I mean, it's set up to be sequential, you know, like yes. just the island hopping. It just makes way more sense in a series. Plus, we could have had one episode because like, there's no sense of urgency because like, they talk about like, oh, we're running low on rations. We got to turn back if we don't do it in like 14 days or something like that. But there's no real sense of danger of starvation in the book. It's like every other island. They're like, hey, we got to find land or we will die. So we could get like an entire episode of them like getting mad at each other. They're on like half water rations and shit like people going like the the the. The Eustace stealing a cup of water could have been made like a way bigger deal. Cause like you said, it was more or less like a, we're going to use this for him and reap cheap to kind of like pal around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, I, you know, we could have, we, we, plus we could have gotten the light birds baby barfing into Romandu's mouth. And he's like, <laughs> I'm a star. And everyone's like, yeah, no, got it. Yeah. You know, I got that. Yeah. Also no closure with uh, Caspian going back and marrying Liliandel. Yeah, we, we don't get that, but wh- whatever, whatever. Well, I mean, she's not Susan. That's true. She's not Susan. She might be a star. She's not Susan. What are you going to do? Yeah, she's not the most British looking 20 <laughs> year old girl on the face of the earth. Like, I, if it's not that, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Cody, would you like to start with your Aslan or Eustace for this movie? I'll start with my Eustace. My Eustace is uh, the swords, man. The shit was dumb. <laughs> yeah. I, it, the sword is just more or less an avatar for all the dumb additions to the story. Exactly. But the sword's quest had no payoff. They were just like lying on the table. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a great, that's a great choice. Um, the, the unfortunate decision to m- make this more of an Arthurian quest where like we know what we're going after Rather than the original way of being like, we don't really know what we're going for or how we're going to get there. Like you said, the weirdness and mystery of this book and the magic throughout is what makes it so fun. And I think they just stripped a lot of that out. And the swords is a great example of that. So I I completely agree. My Eustace is actually just the fact that the way that this book is written 
is that at each stop, each island, we have little kind of lessons for each of our characters. And that is also stripped out. So mm-hmm. we get the overarching redemption of Eustace, which is great. But besides that, they completely take a step back from, like you said earlier, talking about stewardship of the duffel puds. We don't really get much closure on, okay, what does it mean to abandon this golden pool? You know, like it, they just don't really lean in on that the way that I feel like C.S. Lewis would have liked them to. And that's part of the reason that I like these stories so much is that they're all little allegories and they just kind of miss the boat. No pun intended um, on that. So yeah, yeah. totally agree. All right, Cody Aslan for this movie. I really, really enjoyed, you know, I, it's, it's ironic that it's not the uses of the week, but just the Eustace casting and the, the using of Eustace, especially dragon Eustace to kind of make him really learn his lesson as opposed to just, you know, the, the island hopping nature of the book actually suits itself to I was transformed into a dragon and then relieved of my dragon sin via Aslan baptism, like all in one shot and like a couple chapters. Uh, but like we said, you know, got to make a movie out of it. So I thought it was really good. Yeah, I agree. Even 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 if he gets a sword thrown at him, which was like, come on, like, yeah, what, what are we doing? So I I completely agree. I I think that the way that they did Eustace in this movie is is absolutely it's it's the best part of this movie. If I were to name an honorary mention for this, I would just say like the special effects are kind of cool because you've got a lot of things that you can play with in this movie where you've got the duffel puds like, oh, that's something that would be kind of interesting to see on a screen or the sea serpent um, sea serpent looks awesome. Yeah, and the the effect of the invisible house and the room filling with water and them getting to Narnia, all of that was really cool too. So that would be my honorable mention for Aslan. Honorable mention for my Eustace, which I didn't, which I forgot to say earlier. Just the absolute disservice they did to Lucy in this movie. It was weird, dude. And the fact that they felt the need to include Susan and Peter in it at all was totally unnecessary and strange. Yeah, like Edmund learns that he can be his own man if he's brave enough. And Lucy learns it's bad to want to be hot. <laughs> like, what are, what are we doing? Yeah, totally bizarre. And Caspian's just like, you guys want to hang out? All right, let's go over here. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 King Caspian. Yeah, Just phoning it in. So strange. All right. Well, little bit of agenda. So next time we're gonna have my mom on to do uh to do a recap of uh, Don Treader the book. I'm really excited about that because I know how much my mom loves this book. You know, even relatively speaking <laughs> to the rest of these. So that's gonna be super fun. Then we are going to get into the silver chair. We've only got two books left in the Chronicles of Narnia. So we're we're coming coming to an end. Neither one have movies. So we're going to wrap up uh, our summer of Narnia pretty quick here. Silver chair coming next. So with that, thank you all for listening. As always, this has been the Bibliotheques podcast. We'll see you all next time. 